It's time for JT the Brick. JT. Woo! Hey, girls. How are you? Wow, I can go in 10 different directions today. Getting to know Raider Nation the way that you see them now, it's just different. JT the Brick. I think it's so important, especially for this new generation of Raider fans. Now we got something. Now we got some guys out of the tub, out of the training room, doing what they needed to do. It calms down the energy of the Raider Nation and saying, man, a lot of guys have been missing for a while. Where are they? And now they're back. This is this is what the Raiders are all about. And now, here's JT the Brick. Hour number two, Raider Nation Radio, as we kick it off, brought to you by Modelo, the cerveza with the fighting spirit. Have a bucket of Modelo. We thank Modelo for being a proud partner of the show. New partner alert for tomorrow, which we're excited to tell you here as the show is rocking, and we appreciate everybody, and thanks for listening as we continue. Yankees. And the Guardians coming up here momentarily. So I got an eye on this. I got an eye on the Houston Texans. We have a Texans insider coming up in a moment here. Uh, Point of order today is to try to figure out how to beat the Texans. That's why we have all our insiders on. I'm loaded this hour. Levi Edwards from inside the Raiders digital team and Paul Gutierrez from ESPN a little bit later on the show. He's at the bottom of the hour. Is this a run team or a throw team? Well, it should be both by now. Coming off the bye week, they should be able to throw it when they want and run it hard. They seem to only be able to run it with consistency. I don't have an update on Darren Waller and the hamstring. Nate Hobbs is on IR, hopefully on short-term IR, and he'll be back in a month here. He's a hybrid. They're going to need him to play well. Jonathan Abram, who was in the building today, I saw him. Trayvon Merrig are going to have to have a big game. I I don't think Houston's going to be able to attack deep down the field, but they can run it. They can run it, and they're going to want to run it. Houston gives up 165 yards a game on the ground. So they'll let you run it. They'll let you run it. They're better with their pass defense, as Jason Horowitz said, because they've drafted really well in the secondary going forward. They're trying to be the Broncos in the secondary going forward. I don't know if they're going to be there. We'll find out as I bring in insider from the Houston Texans, Jonathan M. Alexander. He covers the Texans for the NFL for the Houston Chronicle and Sports Talk 790. Jonathan, I really appreciate your work. Thanks for giving us a few minutes, and let's begin. Who are the Houston Texans? What's their identity? (laughs) That's a great question uh, because the first – four or five weeks or so they didn't really have an identity uh but i think they're starting to develop it now last two weeks you know the houston texans have become a running football team um their best offensive player is their running back damian pierce rookie running back damian pierce who can run over somebody who can run around people get past people he's just a really talented guy um and, and they play solid defense um defense that uh you know under, under lovey smith runs covered two pretty often, but um, has made things difficult for opposing quarterbacks uh, this season. Um, of course, they definitely have a lot of things they have to fix, like passing game in particular and stopping the run. Those are two of their biggest weaknesses. All right, so what's worked on the defensive side with the draft over the last couple of years, the high draft picks? Because a lot of the people around the country here in Vegas, we think of what happened with Deshaun Watson and parking him for a couple of years with his issues that were happening, and then high draft picks as they tried to rebuild this team and get it going. Let's stay on the defensive side and what works, especially in their secondary. Yeah, I think when you look at the draft, I mean, you definitely, I mean, you can have as many high draft picks as you want. You and me both know this, but you got to hit, and I think they finally hit this past draft with Derek Stingley at cornerback and Jalen Petrie at safety, who has shown he has some potential, had two sacks against the Bears. 
um, in week three. Um, so they've got a they've revamped their secondary. The secondary was one of their weaknesses last year, mm-hmm. and it's become one of their strengths. Um, you know, adding Stingley and Petrie and Desmond King, who's a former All-Pro uh, player. Um, you also have Steven Nelson, who's a veteran, not really – you know, the best of the best, but he's a veteran and he knows how he's played in big situations, played with the Chiefs and the Eagles and the other teams, uh, Steelers as well. So, uh, you know, they've got a real good secondary and they've got players who they added to the to the fold, like John DeGrenard at defensive end. Um, not John DeGrenard, I'm sorry, Jerry Hughes at defensive end to pair with John DeGrenard, who's a young guy who can really get after the quarterback. So, you know, I, th- I, I really do like their defensive line and their um, – and their secondary, mm-hmm. is their linebackers are really struggling. Yeah, I was going to ask you, great segue, because they're giving up 165 yards a game with the running game, and you know in Houston that Josh Jacobs has been running really hard for the Raiders the last couple of weeks. So tell me about that. Is that poor tackling or the linebackers not pursuing? What's the issue there? It's both of those, mm-hmm. poor tackling. Um, even even some of the players who I mentioned have played well, like Jalen Petrie, rookie, uh, he's admitted that he, he has to be a better tackler, but the linebackers haven't tackled well either. They've been out of their spots. Um, they've looked a, a, a little bit of a slept, step slow, and, and the Texans have been trying to figure out uh, what to do to fix that. They've been, you know, toggling with different packages and, and add, adding different players who haven't really played much. They got a rookie who hasn't played at all who they want to get in there. He uh, began the year on the IR. Uh, so I think tackling has been one of the biggest issues, uh, and and being out of their gaps and, and and missing assignments and you know oftentimes you've seen when teams have had success it, it isn't even you know, they they're not getting touched until they reach the second level which you know you know you you can find that on the defense line too they've got to uh, you know fill those gaps but the linebackers in particular haven't been in the right spots that they've been needing to and it's it's cost them. Jonathan M. Alexander, follow him on Twitter. John M. Alexander covers the Texans and the NFL for the Houston Chronicle and does a really nice job. All right, let's get to the quarterback in Davis Mills. And there's a lot of quarterbacks that are going to be coming out now. A lot of quarterbacks that are going to be high draft picks in this upcoming draft here. And does Houston feel like they have the quarterback or is this just a stopgap? How do you see it? Yeah, I think so far from what we've seen from Davis Mills, I think he's shown that um, you know, he can possibly win games, but he's not a franchise quarterback. And in this league, uh, you don't stop until you find that franchise type guy. Uh, Davis Mills right now isn't that guy. I don't, I, I haven't seen it from him to suggest that he will become that guy. I will say this if you add a couple more pieces on offense, uh, with him, a tight end, a pass catching tight end, a really talented one, and another really good wide receiver. I do think he becomes a better player. Mm-hmm. You look at what you say with the Miami Dolphins and adding uh, Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle got a lot better. Um, you look at the Eagles and what they did with adding A.J. Brown. Wide receivers help quarterbacks become a lot better. At the same time, um, you know, Davis Mills does underthrow his receivers at times. He mm-hmm. does miss open receivers at times. So some of that fault does fall on him. So Everything that we've seen so far, nothing has suggested that he's a franchise type of guy. And I fully expect that if if he struggles down the line and if the Texans have a high draft pick, which they have two chances at getting a high draft pick with Cleveland Browns pick and their own pick, 
I fully expect them to take a really hard look at one of those top quarterbacks. Yeah, I would agree, too. As we're talking to Jonathan M. Alexander, Titans insider, happy we can get him on this week. What happened with that win in Jacksonville, 13-6, to with Jacksonville? I mean, Jacksonville has lost uh, at that point in time. I'm looking at these games. Jacksonville beat the Chargers in L.A. Jacksonville has had some explosive games here. What was the key to holding Jacksonville to six points and kind of dominating that game on defense? Yeah, I think probably the the most important thing was Davis Mills didn't turn the ball. Right. right. It, he did just enough to help them win. He he made certain plays. He, he hit two critical third down plays on that final drive where they scored. Uh, and and he hadn't done that previously, so he so credit to him for doing that. But they also put the ball in their best player's hands in in in, um, in Damian Pierce, and he ran all over the Jaguars. I think with the defensive side of the ball, the Texans didn't send a lot of heat, but when they got in the red zone, they gave up a few big plays early on. But when they got in the red zone, they buckled down and they got the turnovers they needed. They got Derek Stingley had his first career interception against Trevor Lawrence. They had another interception late in the game. But I, I, I think it was it was important for them to get certain stops uh, in critical situations mm-hmm. where they hadn't got it previously. And then they had a little help from the Jaguars, too. There were a lot of drop passes um, by the Jaguars receivers. I, I think they need – I think Trevor Lawrence needs a few more weapons uh, on their offense. I think they've done a good job adding, adding Kurt there, but their tight end situation isn't there. They need more additional weapons. And I think the Texans took advantage of a bad day by the Jaguars, and they made plays that they needed to make. Jonathan M. Alexander, last one, the statement for Cal McNair as they get rid of the executive vice president of football operations, Jack Easterby. What happened there? What's the backstory there? And, you know, the follow-up would obviously be, what are Texan fans thinking about the direction of the organization from ownership down? Yeah, yeah. Jack Easterby's time preceded me a little bit, but mm-hmm. I do know some. Um, you know, they hired him in 2019. Um, you know, he didn't have much relevant experience as far as being a personnel guy and a, and a team executive. He was a team chaplain um, with the uh, with the New England Patriots mm-hmm. and, 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 and other teams. Um, and then when the Texans fired their GM, um, you know, they – they leaned on Jack Easterby to make some uh, to to fill in as the interim GM, mm-hmm. and he made some moves that a lot of Texans fans will are still angry about, like trading DeAndre Hopkins for for next to nothing, um, for uh, signing uh, players who are no longer here to uh, extensions, and and, and I th- he contributed to uh, a big part of the Texans' salary cap situation and why they're in the situation that they're in. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, last year, they they removed a lot of uh, his powers and uh, moved him kind of to a different department. He's he was no longer making football decisions. That all falls on Nick Casario, and mm-hmm. they felt that uh, they needed to part ways because you know they just felt like it was time. And uh, I think a lot of Texans fans um, placed a lot of the blame. He 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 represents uh, the previous regiment uh, yeah. that was here. That, and, and and that previous regimen that gotten the Texans to the point that they were in. Well, I hope you're not bringing 15 or 10,000 Texan fans with you. You got a vibe for me. I know my good friend Sean Salisbury, other guys from Houston, I always talk to on my shows. Uh, you think Houston's going to travel to this game? Everybody wants to come to Vegas, uh, Vegas before yeah. Halloween. Well, what's the vibe on the ground in Houston? That's a big market with millions of people. How many are coming to Vegas? 
Yeah, I, I get a sense that that Texans fans are, are happy when the team is winning, mm-hmm. um, and you know don't tend to show up when the team is losing. They just won uh, their last game, so maybe there's a little bit more excitement right now. The Astros are the main are the top dogs in town, so I don't yeah. know. It'll it'll be interesting. They may I, I've seen them at a few games on the road, but. Uh, it really depends on how they're performing. So maybe this is the game they come out. Thank you, my friend. Appreciate you doing this. Thanks for making time for me, and uh, I hope to see you out here when you come out here for the trip. We'll be at the Torch before the game on the pregame show. If you get a chance, come say hello. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me. You got it. Jonathan M. Alexander from the Houston Chronicle. So what did, he, what did we get out of that? They're a running team. Raiders are a running team. But they don't have the ability to pass with Davis Mills. They don't have the ability to match Derek Carr, you would think. Okay, so when I look at Derek Carr and I look at this game with Derek Carr, if Derek gets outperformed by Patrick Mahomes or if he gets outperformed you know, by Kyler Murray, who has this wizardry game, or Justin Herbert, okay, Derek's in all these games. Derek's making plays. Davis Mills can't walk out and get on the bus to the airport with a victory. We all got that? Like, you, you got to be able to scheme Davis Mills, and they're going to run it. Can the Raiders stop the run? We'll get a chance to see that coming up here. 702-365-9200. I'm open to the bottom of the hour. I tell you when I'm open. I tell you when I have an interview. I got about 10 minutes to get you on the phone. 702-365-9200. Yankees got out of the top of the first after a leadoff hit by Quan, And now the Yankees open up the game with a leadoff walk. And here comes the judge. Aaron Judge coming to the plate. Big spot for him. A lifetime hitter under 230 in the postseason. Judge hit 62 home runs this year. Let's see what he's doing. In this postseason, Judge is batting 125. 125 in the playoffs. Big spot for him coming up here. Mitch in New Jersey, not too far from Yankee Stadium. Hello, Mitch. Hey, JT. How you doing? Thanks I'm doing good. Call. Thank you, Mitch. Appreciate you. Yeah, uh, you mentioned by the Dodge. That had to be the biggest choke, the biggest fault to from one of the best teams ever to mm-hmm. so, such a one-and-done quick. They got to get another hit, a closer, and that hit I'm talking about is Aaron Judge. And I'm rooting for Cleveland. Oh. And with the Raiders, I want to see them run the ball. That's been their forte lately, and they kind of remind me of the Dodgers. Getting all these uh, big guys has been kind of disappointing, especially mm-hmm. with Adams and Carr. Yeah, that's a a fair analysis. Look at Mitch as Mitch calls in and he's comparing the Dodgers to the Raiders. Uh, You know, I I wouldn't make that analysis just yet. Uh, I wouldn't compare the Raiders to the Dodgers. I'd like to see the Raiders get to the playoffs and we can compare them to the Dodgers. I wouldn't do that here. But look, has Carr been disappointing with Devontae? I don't think so. They got numbers and stats and touchdowns and over 100-yard games. They're going to be a rhythm. They're going to work out in a rhythm here. Everybody asks me, everybody from my mom, from my mom to people at Oklahoma. It was at my son's fraternity house. People coming up to me, what's up with the Raiders? And I say, you know, they've had a lot of bad luck. They've had a lot of close games, and they haven't been able to learn how to finish the games. That's all I got. I I can't tell you this. I don't think the Raiders are a dog. I don't think the Raiders are a bad team. If they were, if they lose to Houston, I mean, send me a life raft, please. Okay, because then we got to really dig out. We got to dig out. I mean, dig, dig out with the schedule here. But I believe, and I always believe, that the Houston Texans game, if played properly, 
can open up the door for the Raiders. They can win and gain momentum. Not win by barely holding on and escaping and, oh, my God, they played bad, but they won. This is a game where I need the Raiders to play really well, get a win, win by double digits, hug everybody in the locker room, game balls, all that stuff, and then get on the road, and then we got something to talk about here. Is there pressure? There's tremendous pressure on the Raiders in this game. Tremendous. There's no pressure on Houston. You can talk about Houston potentially tanking at some point because they can't go forward with David Mills. They don't. Davis Mills, they don't want to. They want to go out and get one of the two quarterbacks from Alabama or Ohio State. They're going to fall right in their lap. That's what they're talking about in Houston. As Judge is up here, Bobby, 3-2. and two. Let me get through this pitch. 3-2, and two, and he strikes out with his wiffle ball string. Judge with his wiffle ball swing where he's nowhere near the pitch. Reggie in North Las Vegas, Cranky Yankee. Go ahead, Reggie. JT, I understand you, man. And I can't say nothing, but I hope you get your your wish for the Yankees because, you know, my team is the A's and they ain't been doing nothing. So, on these Raiders, dude, I just want to win. I want to win where the players ball out. I don't care who it is. I mean – we're going to have injuries. We got people that may not get to play. All the things that may happen to, to get interfere with this doesn't matter. Everybody needs to step the heck up and win this game. And like you said, it needs to be a statement, man, that mm-hmm. we woke up, that we, we lost that game to KC, that we should have won, but we went into this uh, break and got it together. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to hear no – uh, one in five. Can you? Oh my! I don't even want to no, talk. No about need that. for that, Reggie. I mean, you're on a you're on a Coors Light commercial, man. You're on TV. <laughs> I'm not on TV. I'm only on TV when I interview the head coach, man. Your commercials hey, run every what, ten minutes, man. You're the guy. This out, JT. Thank God for that opportunity. But my <laughs> birthday is Sunday. Wow. You think I want to go in there on my birthday and walk out at, with a loss to the Texans? Come on. Come on. We, Raiders, stand up. Raider Nation, we need to take this one, and we need to take it for real. Defense, stand up. Special teams. Coaches, y'all better scheme this up, man. Let's do this. Well, Reggie, Nation, Reggie, play. Reggie, I'll see you at the Black Hole Tailgate, J-Lot. We'll let's have an ice-cold beverage before Modelo, proud partner of my show, and uh, we'll toast you on your birthday because Cisco, you know Cisco and I, before every game, toast Black Hole Rob. That's our new yes, tradition sir. that we Rest do. So t- try to be there. I'm usually there between 9 and about 10 a.m. Hope to see you out there. I'll be out there, JT. Let's go, you baby. You got it, man. Good to see you. Hope to see everybody out there. Coming up, we'll have Paul Gutierrez joining us at the bottom of the hour, and then Levi Edwards. Man, we are giving you knowledge today. I call this the Insider's Day on a Tuesday. We put them on two-week rotations so we don't burn them out. We get everybody on the show here trying to give you the in-depth team knowledge that you need. And how about the Raiders? At the Raiders' Twitter feed, they just tweeted out our podcast live. We recorded it about 11 a.m. or no, today was about 9.30 a.m. They posted up right now during the show so you can watch. As a matter of fact, you can listen to the show and you can watch the podcast on YouTube. Go check it out. It's Raiders Roundtable with Lincoln Kennedy and Q Myers. Man, you know, everybody has a podcast nowadays, right, Bobby? Everybody has a podcast. Like every Kardashian kid, like between the age of 3 and 11, have a podcast. 
But this one's for real, man. It's done in a studio with B-roll and highlights and cameras. Not in video, yeah. We like it. Raiders Roundtable appearing right now on all the Raiders platforms. Go check it out. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that, Paul. In terms of like what what may or may not come, um, I'm aware of what I'm aware of at this point, which is uh, honestly isn't too too much. I, I mean, I know what happened and, and those kind of things. Uh, I've spoken to Devante. I mean, I support Devante wholeheartedly as a human being, as a person. He's a great guy. Um, I know that was an unfortunate situation. We obviously don't want any of our guys to be doing anything like that. He knows that. He's very well aware of that. But. I know the person. Um, I don't think there was any, you know, intent behind it on his his part. Um, but whatever the, you know, whatever they ask of us, whatever they need from us, obviously we'll comply. And um, you know, but we're, you know, we're we're kind of in a. I'm not sure exactly where we're at at this moment, but we're kind of wait and see at this point. That's a Devonte question from Paul Gutierrez from ESPN. He'll join us next. Giancarlo Stanton just hit a three-run homer for the Yankees in the in the bottom of the first inning, and they simulcast it. Inside Allegiant Stadium. I have a friend who's there who's on a tour, and I just got a text, and I just tweeted it. Unbelievable. At JT the Brick, the Stanton home run, the Yankee game, is inside Allegiant Stadium. How cool is that? One of the best texts I ever have. And the window's open, Bobby. Oh, the window's open today at Allegiant Stadium. This is one of the coolest tweets I've ever sent out, if you're a Yankee fan. If you're not, but uh, got a friend who's on a tour. And he says, JT, man, Stanton just homered, and I have it on video. And it's inside Allegiant Stadium on the jumbo, on the video boards. That is cool. I love that. So 3 nothing uh, for the Yankees. There could be a pitching change here early. But I've never in my, I never dreamed in my life in Game 5 the Yankee game would be simulcast inside Allegiant Stadium, and I'd get a text and turn around the tweet that quickly. Man, that's something that Paul Gutierrez could do with the power of ESPN behind him. Hello, Paul. Did you enjoy the bye week? <laughs> How you doing? Yeah, I did. Was uh, I'm trying to figure out when it started and when it ended. I'm kind of still in it, right? Yeah, you are, and you work really hard on a bunch of different platforms, and it's kind of okay to get away for a bit, but you were covering the Devontae story. We played a question yeah. that you had for Josh McDaniels, and now it seems like the court case going into November. What are you reporting on on the NFL as they wait for what's going to happen on a decision with him? Yeah, it seems like the NFL is going to sit and wait until the legal process plays itself out before it issues any type of um, punishment, so to speak, to, to Devontae, whether it's a fine or possibly even a suspension. Um, I, I think from the court of public opinion, you look at it, yeah, he probably shouldn't have done it, but does it rise to the level of something that uh, you know would, would warrant a suspension? I don't know that. But at the same point, I mean, it does rise to the level by the definition of the law of assault, hence the the charges being filed. So it's, it's again, one of those hurry up and wait games. Um, it'll be interesting to see what Devonte says about it himself this week. I know immediately after the game, it was the first thing that he said mm-hmm. uh, after answering the first question, I was standing right in front of him and, and he addressed it right away and uh, acknowledged it. And, and it depends again upon your point of view and uh, looking at the incident, um, you know, and just from a lot of people's perspective, if he had just stopped, turned around, picked the guy up immediately and, and went on his way, that might've, solved a lot of things but it's, it's just an unfortunate situation that happened 
in a very unfortunate part of that stadium, too. Yeah, Paul Gutierrez, I was just going to say that, and you're in the tunnel a lot, and you have to really thread the needle with your reporting to get into that elevator, which I don't do what you have to do and get down there until way after the game when the post game's done, but you got to thread that needle to get down there and maybe get through a tunnel and all of that, and you've been doing this at a high level for a long time. Uh, you, you know tunnel protocol when we look yeah. back at this, and it just seems like Kansas City was a madhouse after half time in the pass you know what, what we saw on the rough in the passer that shouldn't have been a rough in the passer all your years covering the Raiders in Kansas City how hostile was that yeah you know it's funny walking through that stadium um or the parking lot actually before games it's one of the few places where I've walked through and I'm like okay maybe maybe I should have worn a shade of red so to speak just to get from one end to the other and it's kind of like how it used to be in Oakland I suppose mm-hmm. if you were wearing other colors or, or really any stadium in the NFL uh, but Kansas City that night, there was something in the air. And granted, we're up in the press box. We're far away from it. But as I watched the, the Raiders walk off the field uh, at halftime after that, that bogus uh, roughing the passer penalty, uh, there was a lot of objects being thrown at the Raiders. Uh, there was uh, Cleveland Furrow blowing kisses to the crowd. There was Max Crosby picking up a bottle and throwing it back to from whence it came. So it, it was a wild scene. So what happened afterwards, Devontae Adams, wasn't so, so much you know surprising as it was unfortunate because – if you look at the camera guy as he's running across, it seems like he's just trying to get across and scoot across and wasn't aware of his surroundings. And, mm-hmm, yeah. and boom, there he was right in front of Devontae. So again, just an unfortunate situation all the way around. You know, Houston's interesting from covering this team so long. You look at teams, you say, well, win, loss, win. You can win, get on a roll here. I'm just shocked that Trevor Lawrence had six points total as they were at home, and they had a really big offseason on defense and offense for Jacksonville, and they run into a Houston team, and they win the, they lose the game at home. Houston's coming in with a little bit of momentum as a team that you know has a good secondary, some ball hawks there. As you break down the Houston Texans, what do you see? Yeah, it's a team that you try to wrap your mind around. I mean, Lovey Smith obviously has his influence all over it, right? So it's a defensive-minded team. Um, and the Texans, for whatever reason, they, they just kind of had been a burr in the side of the Raiders since their inception, uh, going back to David Carr being their quarterback. And, and, you know, one of the greatest Raider memories that I've covered uh, was the uh, 10 men on the field the day after Al Davis passed away in Houston. So there's there's a weird kind of a rivalry between these two teams, even though the Texans have only existed for 20 years or so. Um, but but they're a team that that can be dangerous mm. and can can get in your you know just kind of just be one of those things, just a burr in your side. Where they, they, on paper they don't look that good. On paper the Raiders should blow them out, but the Raiders shouldn't be one and four either at this point. So there's just a lot of weird things here that go on, and that's why they played the games, right? I yeah. mean because. Houston's got to come into town and, and the Raiders have to put it together and, and get healthy and, and, and see, you know, if they can get the offense playing for a full 60 minutes rather than for about, uh, what, 45 or 50. Paul Gutierrez, ESPN. So what's your opinion on what's happening with Nate Hobbs from the injury in Kansas City to come back and play in that game and now be on short-term IR? Yeah, I think if if, um, if it was up to Nate, he, he never would have gone on IR. But if you've got surgery and, and your hand's broken and, and you've got broken bones in it, as he said himself on Instagram, you know, they're going to have to keep him off the field. He's mm-hmm. on, we know that he's out now for at least four games. Um, I would be shocked if he's not back before that. That would mean there was a setback or that the break was actually worse. But the fact that he went back in the game with that hand wrapped up the way it was, I mean, you know, yeah, of course you want your DBs, uh, you know, to be fully functional with their hands to try to intercept the ball. But, if he can go out there and still play, I'm sure he would want to be out there. And, and he's been a, a revelation last year as a fifth-round draft pick and uh, you know, can show that he can play on the outside and inside 
as a cornerback. So he's been one of the, the bright spots for this team. Uh, and the draft picks, the, the middle to later round draft picks uh, over the past few years for the Raiders. Uh, Paul, I'm not looking too far ahead, but we all know that there's an opportunity to get on a run here for the Raiders if they play well. If they don't play well, they won't go on a run. What are some of the storylines you're looking at with the Hobbs injury, next man up, practice squad players who might play, the offense, the chemistry with route running with Devontae and Hunter that collided in the last game. What are some yeah. of the stories you're looking at if the Raiders are able to fix this because they better have done something productive in the bye week to get this better? Yeah, it's funny you mention that. That's actually my story for tomorrow. So I don't want to scoop myself too much. No, no. Basically, my story my story for tomorrow is, is looking back at that locker room after the game in Kansas City now. Josh Jacobs does come in, and, and the entire locker room is frustrated. They're trying to figure out how in the world is this team 1-4. He drops an F-bomb that, that would have rivaled any other bomb going off, so to speak. But then he sits there, and he had all the heartbreak on his sleeve. He wears his emotions on his sleeve, but he was also peaceful and calm in his face as he talked on and on about he has no doubt that the Raiders are going to get it together, that, that he thinks a lot of people watching the game saw it, and they were like, okay, the Raiders might actually have something up their sleeve. They got something cooking. And and I think you look at that just simply as what they have on paper, what they have on their roster. It's taken a while for for everything to kind of gel, um, but they took the you know the six time division champ Chiefs to the wire, and they've got enough firepower, so to speak, to compete with anybody in the league. They just have to be able to put it together, and that's how that this team last year was able to get to the playoffs because they had those six walk off wins, an NFL record, and, and get into the postseason for for only the second time since they went to the Super Bowl twenty years ago. So. Going forward, it's 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 a more a matter of continuing to believe in themselves and to continue to work. And I know that the definition of insanity is continuing to do the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. But for this team, I kind of get the sense that that's exactly what they feel they have to do to go on this run. Uh, you know, ESPN Analytics have the Raiders favored in ten of their last twelve games, wow. or whatever that's worth. No, or that's whatever it's yeah. worth. So, and I'm sure the Raiders would take an 11 and six season at this point, right? After going 10 and seven last year, but the Raiders have also, in the past five years, been terrible after the bye coming out. They've been beaten by almost 18 points a game, uh, going 0 and five. So, there's a lot of things at play here, and it's just again with this new regime, with the new system, they have to just continue to believe in each other and in the system, and then we'll see if they come out at the end of it. Now, if they can't win a game or two here. Then I think we're talking about a different uh, different yeah. story, but that's where we are right now. Paul, last one, a quick one. Patrick Graham, you were at the press conference. He was light, loose, laughing, and comfortable like you should coming off a bye week, but very focused on what they have to do. Are you feeling he's getting a little heat at those press conferences now? Josh McDaniels answers every question. I think he's been excellent at the podium there, but let's analyze Patrick Graham as defensive coordinator. Yeah, same thing. I mean, I, I believe that, and I've, I've written this, and that Josh McDaniels has been winning press conferences. It's time to start winning games now. And mm-hmm. I think you could say the same thing of Patrick Graham. I mean, he's very fun to talk to and, and very uh, lighthearted. And, and you can you get a sense of what the players see. And, and uh, you know, after that, they lost that game uh, in, in uh, Tennessee, I believe it was. Uh, you could hear him kind of yelling in the coach's office as well. So it's not all lighthearted. There's some serious things there. But, but yeah, and, and the number one thing I believe that he's got to get going, and he acknowledged it today too, is that everybody's tired of hearing about Chandler Jones affecting the quarterback. I don't think you acquired him to affect the quarterback so much as to actually get on the stat sheet and get sacks. Now, I know that's, that may not be fair because if he's affecting the quarterback, then somebody else is going to make a play, right? But when you've got a potential Hall of Famer opposite Max Crosby who's playing like a potential defensive player of the year, you need him to finish. And, again, he was probably two shoelaces away from having two sacks 
uh, against uh, the guys they played last time, um, the Chiefs, Chiefs, obviously. So yeah, so it, it's it's again, it's, it, I think that is the number one thing, as well as with um, you know Nate Hobbs being out, they got to figure out exactly okay, is Anthony Avery coming back or is he not, or do you just roll with who you have at cornerback? Thank you, Paul. I'll see you Sunday, if not before. Appreciate you coming on. Sounds good, JT. And Paul Gutierrez from ESPN. Check out all of his work on his Twitter feed and at ESPN.com. Levi Edwards will join us next from the digital team inside Grinder, Grinder guy with a lot of good information. We'll get out of him as we're rolling on. Yankees get three in the bottom of the first. Three-nothing Yankees over the Guardians. Stanton hit a three-run bomb. We have the Padres. How about the Padres and the Phillies? Who had that? Nobody had it. Hey, we're brought to you by our great friends at Grimaldi's. Best pizza I ever had. Head on out to Grimaldi's. Four locations here in the Valley. Yeah, I mean, each week we try and do what's best, we feel like, for the team. And you guys have seen, you know, kind of the same guys in the past couple weeks. And that goes back to practice, the consistency in practice. And whatever five guys we feel like give us the most consistent part of practice in the game, those are the guys that are going to play. So, you know, each week's a new week, but we feel pretty strongly about the guys that are playing right now in terms of the, you know, the five or six guys we're rotating there in the offensive line. It's Mick Lombardi, OC for the Raiders. JT, back with you as we go out to Levi Edwards. Digital reporter for the Raiders, always sitting up front. Great questions at the press conferences. Levi, good to talk to you. Tell me about Patrick Graham and what you're getting out of him, especially after the news that Nate Hobbs is on IR. How does this team replace that hybrid player? Well, I believe that Patrick Graham has a very realistic mindset going forward, and that's something that he said that kind of really resonated with me is that no one – is going to feel bad for us, so we can't feel bad for ourselves. And what that just means is they have to keep a next-man-up mentality. This is the NFL, and even without Nate Hobbs and the caliber player he is, they have to find ways to replace his production. And you have guys such as Amik Robertson, Sam Webb, undrafted guy who got some crucial snaps against the Chiefs in that Monday night game. He looked pretty good. And you have Anthony Everett, who – could potentially be coming back this week. Uh, time will tell how that works, but with the speed that Averett has, it will be extremely beneficial just to have him moving forward, especially against the Texans with Brandon Cooks. Brandon Cooks is one of the fastest dudes I've seen on the field in my in my young 25 years of watching football. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm I'm really excited to see what Patrick Graham can do with his defense and replacing the production. Levi Edwards is our guest. You talked about the Raiders' second-fewest rushing yards behind the Buffalo Bills. Uh, This rushing defense and the fact that the Raiders got their rushing game going with Josh Jacobs. So what do you think about run containment from the Raiders and how they're going to start running the ball against a Houston team that gives up 165 yards a game rushing? That's a lot. Yeah, that is a very optimistic stat to look at if you're the Raiders coming into this game, especially with the fact that you have Josh Jacobs who's averaging 149 rushing yards per game his past two contests. So you have your rushing attack striking and peaking, you know, right now going into this game and you're going up against a run defense that has been in the bottom five of letting running backs kind of let loose, get going. I think Josh Jacobs has been playing really well and I believe that with this established offensive line that we're starting to see with 
Dylan Parham doing his thing and Alex Bars in there at guard. And the way that Josh Jacobs is running, I think it's going to be a very productive day for him. Levi Edwards is our guest. So, Levi, I think it's time for Carr and Devontae and Waller of Healthy and Renfro to get going here. That's what the bye week was all about. They had a really good preseason, but they did not play. They had a really good camp, but they did not play against real competition, other than the Patriot dual workout here. And they haven't been clicking, but at times been explosive. That's Carr to Devontae. Are you looking forward to seeing Waller get going explosive-wise after getting paid? And what about Renfro? I mean, he was concussed, and they held him out two weeks, the right decision. But Hunter's got to come in here now and get this push going. They're going to need him in these upcoming games. Yeah, most definitely. And it's, it's really on everyone. And there's no surprise. I think a lot of people just assume that this would be a very dynamic offense and everybody would you know get fed and everything would be great. And I don't believe that it's the like guys like Renfro and Waller. I don't think that, it's, that they've had a lack of production. It's just that everyone has to they have to share their turn. If that makes any sense, you know, Derek Carr's the guy who's going to find whoever's open, and he's going to feed it to wherever the defense allows him to. You know, there's going to be games where Devontae Adams is going to go off. There's going to be games where Hunter Renfro has about seven eight catches. There's going to be games where Mac Collins is going to be the guy that's dominating the man coverage because you're putting two guys on Devontae, you're putting two guys on Waller. So with that being said, of course, Renfro and Waller, they have to get going, and I do expect them to get better as they get more established within this offense. But at the same time, you can only do or uh, you can only take what's given to you. And I believe that Derek Carr's done a good job of taking what's given to him from the defense, and he's been finding guys that – you know, are getting open. And when you have Devontae Adams and retain Devontae Adams as much as you are, you better find him down the field because he's going to get open. He's going to make a play whenever he wants to make a play. So it's really just more reps, more cohesion, more time getting together. I still feel really excited about what this offense can bring. And they put up a lot of points, a top 10 in points going into the bye. Mm-hmm. So we've seen the results. It just needs to translate over into wins. Levi Edwards as we wrap it up. So, Levi, finally, I think special teams are really important here. Rich Passaccia, Green Bay struggling. I think he's a hell of a coach, just Green Bay struggling here. And the Raiders special teams, I'd like to see a little better tackling and coverage. But other than that, Cole and Carlson, what type of years is they have? are they having? Especially Cole, because Raiders need him. And I'd like to see some coffin corners. I'd like to see some punts that are going inside the five, not inside the 20. I think this is going to be really critical in these upcoming games. In the Dome in New Orleans, in the Dome at Allegiant, really need these special team guys to show up. They're pro bowlers. Yeah, they're pro bowlers and they're second and first team all pro guys. Uh, it's really funny. As for Daniel Carlson, I remember a couple of weeks ago, I believe it was going, I believe it was either going into the Chiefs game or it was going into the, the Titans game. I asked him about the streak because he's on this huge streak. And I was a little nervous. I was like, I don't know how I feel asking you about this. But he was like, look, I'm not superstitious. I, I trust my training and I do what I do. And I'm not even worried about the streak. I'm going to just keep on doing what I can for this team. And now he's at 38 straight field goals. And he's just been – it's just so refreshing for a fan base to have a kicker that's automatic. I think Carlson is 38. entering into that – he's entering into that Justin Tucker, that Justin yeah. Tucker level of elite kickers. I mean, I, I, right now it's him, it's him and Carlson when yeah. you look at elite kickers. And as for A.J. Cole, I, I think A.J. Cole is not having a terrible season. I believe that – 
we just haven't really seen him a lot on the field. Mm. And that also is a testament to this offense as well, because like I said, the offense is, you know, they've clicked and they can get down the field and they can go on, on drives. The thing is that it doesn't always necessarily equate to touchdowns, which is also why Daniel Carlson has been so effective this year. He's kicked 38 straight field goals is because some of these times they go on these drives and they don't, you know, result in touchdowns. So, Really, even though A.J. Cole has not really been on the field a whole lot and he hasn't really been putting in the numbers that he put in last year, he's still a, a hell of a punter. And when it comes down to it, he just needs to take the opportunities that's given to him and do what everyone knows he's capable of doing. And it's also on the rest of those guys in special teams to field those punts better, it's, uh, to return those punts better. And that's why I like Matt Jones and what he's been doing, just because he puts all-out effort on special teams and Every team needs a guy like Matt Collins as a receiver and as a special teamer, and there's no surprise as to why he is the team captain to this point mm-hmm. in that in that area. Thank you, Levi. Good seeing you in the building today. I'll see you Thursday. Thanks for your time. Thank you so much, JT. You got it, Levi Edwards. Follow him as he's on the digital team and one of the best grinders. That's why we invited him, and I appreciate him accepting to be a part of our insiders. That's what this show's about. Is uh, We got about eight or nine insiders on this show that we believe take the show to the next level and we use them on a rotation to keep their content fresh and to not burn them out because I get burnt out every week. I get called every day to go on radio shows and most of them I say, yeah, sure. And you're supposed to go on about eight or nine minutes and then they keep me for 14 and I'm like, okay, 17. And you don't get paid, which is okay. You know, you're a guest and then they come on this show, but Levi's in the building. I like to have that. All right, Bobby, Judge is up again. Yankees are up 3-0, and Judge, Stanton hit a three-run homer here. So let me just see what how much time we got here. I'd like to stay through the Judge at bat. So what I'm going to do here is I get out of here, and I just want to say this. It's a true story because I'm watching the Yankees today, and I'm on the air at 6 p.m. So after the show ends, I'm going to Raisin Canes. I'm, I'm not making this up because they're a partner. I go to Raisin Canes. I love the iced tea. I love the lemonade. Combo, I love it all. The coleslaw is unbelievable. So I get out of here. I shoot up Flamingo. I find my canes. The judge hit that out of here. Judge hit it out. All rise. Here come the judge. Judge goes deep to the short porch. As I'm pumping up Raisin Canes, our proud partner here. They're going crazy. They're going crazy. They're going crazy in the Bronx. Here he comes. Stanton homers. All rise for the judge and the judge homers. And the Yankees take a 4-0 lead, and it's not safe. It's not safe. No lead is safe in a game five. Raisin Canes, proud partner of our show. What a great partner there. Oh, now I don't have to stress when I go through the drive through at Raisin Canes because it's going to be fast, it's quick, and then I'm going to watch the rest of the game. And then I'm going to do my 6-9 to 9 p.m. show. And then if the Yankees win, I'm going to sit in my backyard and drink a Modelo. Yeah, get all the partners in because they're partners with the show. Yes, Judge. Judge is batting career 123 in the playoffs. He needed that home run in a big way after hitting 62 in the regular season. What a day today. Thanks to Levi Edwards. Paul Gutierrez joined us from ESPN. He was fantastic. The voice of the Silver and Black, Jason Horowitz, and Jonathan M. Alexander from the Houston Chronicle. I can't do any better than that because Bobby did the show. He put it together. I just hosted, and there's a lot more happening. Q was busy today. I saw Q early in the morning. He stayed for the press conference. 
Now he does a three-hour radio show, man. That is, that is a full day for Q. And he's not even halfway through it. He's coming up next. All right. Raider Nation, unite. Raider Nation, unite. Let's get a win here. Let's get a win here on Sunday. I'll see you at the torch. Well, I got a couple more radio shows left. Friday, I'll be with Charles Woodson. See Wood. He's in town with his Woodson bourbon whiskey and his golf tournament, which will be at TPC Summerlin. I'm proud to be a part of it and playing in it. So I'll be with C. Wood on Friday. So we got a lot of radio before that. My coach interview on Thursday. Uh, find me tonight on Sirius XM 82, 6 to 9 p.m. That's Mad Dog Sports Radio. Have a great day, everybody.